Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Minnesota Twins 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And how about some playoff atmosphere in Cleveland last night? Boy, we certainly put that weird Thursday makeup game behind us, right? We survived this this weird game with a rookie on the mound, and we come back and we play a legit good game, a fun game against the Minnesota Twins. I doubt the Minnesota Twins fans feel that way because their team kind of gave up after a 3-0 lead. And, uh, well, maybe our pitching just got really nasty after a 3-0 lead. And uh, we're able to hold them down and get back into this game and win it late, win it with a go-ahead run in the eighth inning, and uh, extend our lead in the American League Central with the White Sox losing an extra innings to the Detroit Tigers after our game finished. Uh, In Mandy Bell's article, she said like half the team was huddled around the TV watching that game, watching it go down. Uh, So yeah, it is. It's playoff baseball from here on out. It is. We are legit. We are in it. We are in playoff mode. And uh, yeah, it was a really fun game yesterday. So let's get into the storylines of our game. Let's not worry about the White Sox game. Let's get into the storylines of our game and see how this all went down. Well, I, you know, I think this is a game where we gotta gotta go in order. We gotta go in order because it tells the story. The Twins do jump out to a three nothing lead. Their second time through the lineup, they give McKenzie a little bit of trouble. Now, McKenzie's final line on the day is actually pretty good. Seven innings pitched, seven hits, three earned runs, no walks, eight strikeouts. He did give up one home run. And he was hard hit on only 89 pitches. He was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Um, surprise was only 89 pitches, but you know the situation. Once we took the lead, or once we tied it up, kind of dictated. Let's go to the good, you know the best arms in our bullpen, and let's see if we can set this thing up for a class A save in the ninth inning. And that's exactly how it goes down. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually surprised uh, only 89 pitches. Usually, he lets his starters run a little bit deeper than that, but wanted to start Stefan out probably with a clean inning in the eighth inning. Didn't want to bring him in if, you know, McKenzie gets into a little bit of trouble there. You know, doesn't want McKenzie to come out and throw 10 more pitches just to have Stefan then come in. So, I get he wants starting Stefan in a clean inning in the top of the inning where he's more comfortable. All right, so... How did Minnesota jump out to that lead? Well, that second time through the order, McKenzie does find himself a little bit more in the center of the plate. Uh, He gives up three hits in that third inning. um, Gives up, uh, almost gives up a home run in the first inning, right? Almost gives one up to Miranda. It hits off the very, very top of the wall. They even have to look at it just to make sure, but no, it doesn't touch railing. So it goes as a two-out double, but he's able to get out of it by strike or getting Nick Gordon to ground out to end that threat. So he almost gives up a home run in the first. They would get him then in the third inning. With two outs, they turn the lineup back over. Luis arrives with a single off a slider. Correa with an 0-2 fastball that stays out over the plate, and he shoots it back up the middle at 105.1 miles per hour. 
And then Jose Miranda just pulls one down the third base line. It just clears the bag. It just goes under Jose Ramirez's glove and rolls all the way down, bouncing off the tarp for a one-run double. Now, he did in this third inning, he did start to end up in the middle of the play just a little bit. Uh, in the second inning, he's, uh, he's doing very good. He's kind of pounding the arm side of the plate. In the third inning, he does end up a little bit in the middle of the plate, and it was the slider that was getting hit. Luis Arise's single to kick things off was a 1-2 slider that stayed up and out over the plate for him. That's an, that's an easy pitch to hit. Uh, Correa's was a fastball and an 0-2 count that was down and away, but still up above the knees, still up and out over the plate that he's able to shoot up the middle. And then uh, the slider that Jose Miranda hits is kind of right down the middle. It's the first pitch. I mean, it's it's just below the belt, but it's right down the middle of the plate. So he did get stuck a little bit in the middle of the plate and give up those three hits. Then in the fourth inning, again, again, he ends up a little bit in the middle of the plate. A slider, uh, in fact, two sliders in the middle of the plate once again. Uh, Giovanni Urshela singles on a 1-0 slider right down the pipe. And then Jake Cave hammers a slider, a first pitch slider, 105.2 miles per hour, 28 degree launch angle. And you know what was interesting about this is, uh, let's see what the distance on this home run was, 412 feet. Yeah, he really got a hold of that one. So I went to the matchups and I was like, all right, what did Jake Cave do his first time up? Because usually that's sometimes an indication, right? You know, a guy sees a pitch his first time up, and he's expecting it his second time up and gets it and delivers. Well, no, that's not what happened in this situation. Jake Cave in his first at-bat gets a first-pitch fastball for a called strike, gets another curveball at the top of the zone that he sneaks in for a called strike two, and then a curveball at the bottom of the zone that he swings through for strike three. So fastball, curve, curve, attacking the strike zone, Gets Jake Cave on three pitches, his first at-bat. But then in his second at-bat, he's so ready for this first-pitch slider. So why is that? Well, I went back and I looked at the rest of the inning. Giovanni Urshela, first-pitch slider. In fact, gets two sliders in a row and hits the second one for his single. Next batter up, Gary Sanchez. He does strike out, but first-pitch slider. Now he gets this one down and away. Throws him two down and away, actually, before getting him a strikeout on the curveball. So a nice job of keeping it down there. But then first pitch to Jake Cave. So two batters in a row this inning have gotten first pitch sliders. Maybe Jake Cave was paying attention. Maybe he was standing there with his batting helmet, you know, watching what was going on with his bat on the on-deck circle, watching what was going on, and had an inkling that he might get a first pitch slider, and he delivers on it. So uh, maybe McKenzie got stuck in a little bit of a pattern there in the fourth inning, and it sets them up uh, for a big inning. But give McKenzie credit. Now, normally, home runs, when McKenzie gives up home runs, normally it's bad for the Guardians. Uh, I believe Hamilton had this stat on the radio broadcast, where when when McKenzie does not give up a home run, the team is actually undefeated in those games. When he does give up a home run, I think he said they were 4-10, and in those games. So now with this win, they move to 5-10 and 10 in those games. So it's definitely better when McKenzie does not give up a home run in a game. 
whether he takes the win or doesn't take the win, the team takes the win. And obviously, at this point in the season, that's what's important. But he does settle down after that home run. He strikes, strikes out Celestino in the next batter and gets Contreras a lineup. Then goes 1-2-3 in the 5th, 1-2-3 in the 6th. Does give up a 2-out single in the 7th, but an Arise flyout would end his night. So he only gives up one more base runner, one more hit after that home run. In fact, they only get, their offense only gets two more hits. Cave with that infield single that kind of glances off, um, what's his name, Classe's uh, hand, his pitching hand in the ninth inning. Um, that would be their only two hits after this home run. And we talked about this a few days ago. You know, in playoff baseball, that first rally is great, but a lot of times you need that second rally to really put away the game, and the Twins weren't able to do that. The Cleveland pitching locked in and shut them down for the rest of the game and gave their offense time to get back into the game to work the Twins' bullpen. So the Twins never able to come up with that second rally after scoring you know, three runs the second time through the lineup. Split over the third and second, fourth inning, but that second time through the lineup. So what was working for McKenzie on the day? Well, he was getting a ton of swing and miss. 28% whiff rate. That's because they swung 57 times. Oh my God, they were up there hacking. So uh, the curveball was very good. A 50% whiff rate on the curveball. Uh, and then Peppers in 12 called strikes to get 21 foul balls, so that definitely helped. They put 20 in play at an average exit velocity of 91.9. So yeah, they were hitting them a little bit hard, but they were being ultra, ultra aggressive against McKenzie. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the illustrator here and take a look at the strikeouts. I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of curveballs. Yeah, uh, we've got of the uh, eight strikeouts here, I've got five curveballs, three of them right at the bottom of the strike zone, and then two in the dirt. I've got an outside slider that Correa chases in the fifth inning on an 0-2 count, and then I've got two fastballs at the top of the zone, Celestino in the fourth, and then Cave uh, in the uh, seventh inning goes down to a high fastball. So there you go, curveball, low curveballs, high fastballs, outside sliders, that's a pretty winning combination for Tristan McKenzie. So no one's going to say it's, you know, McKenzie's best game ever, but I think it was a really solid, strong start. He does get into trouble his second time through, clearly makes some adjustments, and uh, he's able to uh, he's able to handle things and lock in and and uh, really keep the Guardians in this game. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. I'm just curious the next time Jake Cave is up, uh, what pitch does he get cuz he strikes him out in that seventh inning. Yeah, no more sliders. Done with the sliders there. It's all fastballs and curveballs. It finally gets him on that high fastball on the fifth pitch. So, uh, yeah, stop throwing Jake Cave uh, the sliders there. So, he's learning. He's learning. He's paying attention. That's what we like to see. We like to see guys paying attention and making adjustments. All right, now let's get to the seventh inning because that's where the Guardians offense really kicks into action here. And... Uh, you know, there was some good, you know, I just want to shout out, there was some good defense early. They may have had some plays early, uh, may have had some chances early if it wasn't for good defense. In the first inning alone, Gordon makes a nice stop at second base. Cave makes a diving catch in left field. 
And then even Naylor makes a nice catch early in the game. So I want to shout out some defense because, you know, it normally gets buried in the box score and stack cast and all that. Naylor in the second inning made a nice diving stop going down the line and a flip to McKenzie. Uh, so some good defense early, but the Guardians are finally able to get it done um, in the seventh inning. And it's speed. It's speed that wins this game for the Cleveland Guardians. MVP on the day might as well be speed. So uh, it starts with Jimenez in the seventh inning. He hits one towards Gordon. It should it should be an easy play for Gordon. I mean, not an easy play, but it should be a makeable play for Gordon at second base. However, Jimenez is just absolutely busting it down the line. And for some reason, he rushes the throw. Nick Gordon absolutely rushes his throw. And uh, Andres Jimenez pulls the first baseman off the bag. And Andres Jimenez is safe to kick off the inning. So then we get a pinch hit. We get Owen Miller. He's going to pinch hit for Will Benson. And he ends up, you know, he gets three pitches kind of up at the letters. Uh, Thielbar never kind of leaves the strike zone. And he delivers on the third pitch, a four-seam fastball, and shoots it out into right field at 96 mile per hour exit velocity. And Jimenez on his horse goes all the way to third base. That's the kind of hustle we like to see from our Guardians going first to third. That's Guardians baseball. All right, we got nobody out. Runners on the corner. Luke Maley goes down swinging bad. He gets four fastballs up and then finally a curveball down in the dirt, and he can't lay off it. He chases for strike three. So now they got one out, and it brings up uh, brings up uh, Miles Straw. They're set up now for a double play to get out of this inning, and uh, Straw works himself a five-pitch at bat. Griffin Jacks is comes into the game in place of Theobar, and he is just firing sliders at uh, Miles Straw. Gets him into a 2-2 count. Does not chase two sliders away. And then gets a fastball on the outside edge up at the letters. And he pops it into center field. Doesn't pop it. I'm sorry. Pokes it into center field. A nice shot right up the middle. Uh, brings in Jimenez to score. Uh, it's a really good piece of hitting. Obviously, Griffin Jacks' plan was to stay away on Miles Straw. But he doesn't chase the sliders. Instead, gets a fastball that he can get the barrel to. And is able to poke it up the middle for a huge RBI hit to get the Guardians on the board. I mean, if he hits into a double play there, I don't know if the Guardians find the momentum to come back in this game. So a huge job there for Miles Straw. It wouldn't go so well for Miles Straw later in the game, all right? Now, it was not Straw's best, uh, you know, game at the plate, and uh, you'll see in a second here. But uh, this one, he comes through, he gets one at bat. He gets one moment in this game, and he makes it count driving in Jimenez here. All right, next up after him, we flip the lineup over for Quan. Quan would ground out sharply to first base, but it does move Owen Miller to third and Miles Straw to second. So it moves the runners up and it sets up Ahmed Rosario. So Ahmed Rosario coming up facing Griffin Jacks here. It's a three pitch at bat, starts by fouling off a slider, being very aggressive like Ahmed Rosario does. All pitches are up at the letters, up at the shoulders. He swings through a high fastball and then gets another high fastball. This one a little bit lower, a little bit down from the shoulders, more of the letters, inside pitch, and he's able to fight it off into center field, gets it just over the glove of Carlos Correa. It's only 85.2 mile per hour exit velocity, but he gets it over the glove of Correa 
into center field, and both runs come in to score. So Ahmed Rosario delivers in a high-leverage situation in the seventh inning. He delivers the game-tying two-RBI hit. And uh, look, there has been a lot of talk about Ahmed Rosario and high-leverage situations. He has not been good in high-leverage situations this season. When the team is trailing, he is only a 235 hitter with a 575 OPS. When they're within two runs like they were in this situation, he's a 265 hitter with a 686 OPS. That's all right. In high leverage situations. Now, this is updated. I checked. Baseball Reference has updated themselves this morning. So in high leverage situations now, he's only a 252 hitter with a 623 OPS. I feel like that's actually increased uh, from earlier in the season. Uh, so he's definitely a better hitter in medium leverage or lower leverage situations. Now, remember, they, they calculate this high leverage stuff, um, win expectancy and leverage index. Basically, how you change the win probability line is kind of how they figure this stuff out. So a situation where you're up 10 runs and you get another RBI hit, it's not going to move the uh, win expectancy line that much because you're already up 10. So it's not considered a high leverage situation. Something here where the win expectancy line takes a huge jump being down 3-1 to now being tied 3-3. It's really going to move that win expectancy line. So this is considered a high leverage situation right here. So now he's he's hitting 252, which honestly isn't as bad as it was earlier in the season. The seventh inning, he can he can play in the seventh inning all right. He's a 266 hitter in the seventh inning with a 721 OPS. However, most of, uh, not most of, but his most RBIs of any inning have come in the seventh inning. He's now up to 10 RBIs in that seventh inning. Um, his best inning is the s- second inning? Eighth inning, actually. 323 hitter uh, is his best betting average of any inning. Well, extras, he's a 333 hitter. Um, yeah, what's his highest OPS? His highest OPS would be in the, well, extras again, but very limited, you know, sample size. It's six at-bats. Uh, his highest OPS would be in the third inning. So probably coming around that second time through the lineup, uh, would be his best OPS. Uh, so yeah. So in a situation where you don't really believe in Ahmed Rosario, right? A high leverage situation in the seventh inning not his strongest inning, he's able to come through with a big, big two RBI hit to tie the game up here. So yeah, a little bit unexpected for people that have been dogging Ahmed Rosario all season for his, you know, his ability to be clutch, his ability to come through. They think, oh, all he hits is just, you know, a bunch of singles, you know, in the third inning with nobody on base. That's how his batting average is so high. That's why he was leading the league in hits at one point. Um, so he comes through here. He gets one late for you, for your doubters. Uh, man, Ahmed Rosario just continues to prove that like he is such an important part of this 2022 Guardians. Whatever the future holds at shortstop, we all have to admit that Ahmed Rosario is a huge part of the 2022 Guardians, right? A huge, uh, just, man, in the clubhouse, in the lineup, he has just been such an important part of this team. All right, so we got the game tied. What do we do? We go to Trevor Steffen. He shuts him down in the eighth inning, and then we come back up. Let's do it again. Bottom of the eighth inning. This time they go to Johan Duran, 
and Duran, the flamethrower, right? He can top 100 miles per hour. We got our work cut out for us. It starts with Josh Naylor. He hits, uh, he fights one off uh, a little bit slower pitch. I'm not exactly sure. It didn't look like his fastball. Uh, let's see what they got it here. No, they got it as forcing fastball, but it was only down at 97.2. I know he throws harder than that. Uh, so we first pitch curveball in the dirt. Second pitch is a fastball up, and he kind of jumps on it. Uh, it's not again not the hardest hit ball, but he flares one into right field. And second baseman Gordon is playing really deep in the grass in that rover position, and he's able to cut it off, but not before Naylor is safe at uh, first base with a leadoff single. Then Oscar Gonzalez delivers back-to-back singles after dealing with three three curveballs in a row and an 0-2 count. He finally throws him a forcing fastball, but he doesn't throw it high enough. He gets it up at 100 miles per hour, but Oscar Gonzalez is ready for it, does the only thing you can do with a 100.6-mile-per-hour fastball up and away. He shoots it to right field. I love that he didn't try to hit a home run on this pitch. Honest to God, if he tries to hit a home run, he probably swings and misses. But he stays on this pitch, shoots at the opposite field at 108.5 miles per hour, and now we've got runners on first and second. Now that he's in scoring position, he goes to um, he goes to uh, the, the bench, and he brings in Ernie Clement as a pinch runner. Now that he's in scoring position, and Naylor says, he said, and Mandy Bell had this in her article, he says that uh, as he was running out there, as he was passing Clement, he said to him, look out for a dirt ball. Look for one in the dirt. Be ready for a dirt ball. And sure enough, sure enough, I mean, he's trying to throw Jimenez curveball after curveball after curveball. And uh, was it the first pitch? Uh, it's in the dirt. It skips away from uh, Gary Sanchez. This is what Gary Sanchez is known for. This is why uh, Naylor tells him this, because Sanchez is known for pass balls. He's known for not blocking balls in the dirt. He's not he's not a great defensive catcher at all. And they I mean they leave Sanchez in in this close situation as the defensive catcher and sure enough a ball hits in the dirt. It bounces up, it skips past him. He actually loses it, doesn't know where it is and Clement. My god, I love this. This might be one of my favorite plays of the entire season here. Yes, I definitely buried the lead on this podcast, so I hope you stuck with me all the way to the end of this game because Clement, I hope you stuck with the Guardians all the way to the end of this game because Clement comes flying around third base and doesn't hesitate. We have talked about it since the inception of this podcast. He doesn't hesitate. He sees that ball on the screen and he breaks for home and he scores easily way before Sanchez can recover the ball and flip it back to the plate. He is in with a headfirst slide. He does the Kenny Lofton. He scores from second base on a wild pitch. Unbelievable. 20,000 people on their feet screaming at Progressive Field. What a moment. Both Hamilton and Underwood have really good calls on it. They kind of mixed them together in the highlight package they put together. Unbelievable Clement being so heads up. That's not the third base coach waving him around. That is a runner who recognizes what's happening and does not hesitate. I love that. Sometimes you can score in ways that will blow away the rest of your team. You know, they will not be ready for it. But you as the base runner, when you see that opening, 
it's hard to explain, but when you see that opening, you just cannot hesitate. If you hesitate, if he if he stutter steps going around third base, picking up where the ball is, it's it's not happening. He's not scoring. He has to hold the bag. If he stutter steps there, just stay at third base. He does it. I mean, in stride, he hits the bag and just explodes for home. Kicks it into another gear and explodes for home. I love it. I love it so much. I love great base running. Uh, it's so hard to quantify. It's so hard. That's never going to show up in a box score. Nobody's ever going to look at Ernie Clement's baseball card one day and go, hey, this guy scored from second base on a wild pitch. It's just, it doesn't show up anywhere except in our memories, right? In our hearts. We're going to remember Ernie Clement as that guy who pulled the Kenny Lofton against the Minnesota Twins in a playoff race in 2022 and scored from second base. Whew, play of the game. Can I give MVP on the day to just a play? To just a moment? Because that was definitely the play of the day. All right. So uh, Duran is able to get out of the inning. Uh, you know, the Guardians threaten to add another insurance run, but they just can't get it done. Uh, Straw, man, Straw goes down in the final at bat of this inning. He's got a chance to add another insurance run here. Takes a four-seam uh, four fastball for a call. Strike. Probably wishes that he offered at that pitch. Probably because then Duran's got him on his heels. He's waiting fastball, waiting fastball, and does not get another fastball. Gets a curveball at the knees on the outside edge that he takes for a called strike two. He's very upset about that. Not happy with that called strike. It puts him in a real hole. Lays off another one in the dirt. Gutsy to throw another one in the dirt, frankly. Uh, Makes it a one-two count. And then gets another curveball at the top of the zone that just locks him up and he can't take it man straw's got a temper on him doesn't he he slams the bat down right in the face of the umpire and uh i believe the exchange if you read the lips i believe the exchange goes something like uh you can't do that in front of me and then throws him out of the game and uh, i believe straw mounts what for (laughs) he tosses him out of the game and straw's response is what for yeah, I mean, if you if he walks away, if he walks back towards the dugout and he slams the bat down, heading towards the dugout, he does not get thrown out of the game. But he literally turns, looks at the umpire in the face, and then slams the bat down onto the ground, trying to snap that thing in half like a twig, and uh, he gets thrown from the game. So it's a dumb emotional moment for Miles Straw. I mean, obviously, in a one-run game, we need his defense out there. Uh, we already have to go to a weird defense because, you know, uh, Owen Miller pinch hits for the DH and then Clement pinch runs for the first baseman. So Clement's got to go play. Are he, Hey, he's a utility infielder. I'm sure he works on all four positions. He has to go in and play first base for uh, for Naylor. Uh, definitely our third option at first base. Not that I think Owen Miller is any good at it. Um, but Clement goes in to play first base, and now uh, Quan moves over to center field. Palacios goes in to left field. The catcher goes in into a straw spot in the lineup. Um, so, yeah, we have to shuffle the defense all the way around for that ninth inning, uh, but we get the job done. Classe goes out there despite um, Oscar Gonzalez almost, almost breaking in on a fly ball for the second out. He recovers. He caught it. Him and Quan have a good laugh about it out there in the outfield. As much as I love Straw in center field, Straw does seem like that grumpy, just grumpy man in center field. Uh, 
but when Quan's out there, they're like all laughs and smiles. I, I don't know why those guys love Quan so much. And uh, you could tell that Quan and Gonzalez, who have kind of come up together, right? They went through the minors together. Those guys enjoy playing baseball together. So uh, they have a good laugh about it. You know, we can all laugh about it because he recovered and made the catch. But it is fun to watch Quan out there in center field with some guys he came up with. Uh, yeah, they do. They all have a good time out there together. Uh, once grumpy Miles Straw is not in center field anymore. Uh, not to take anything away from Straw's defense, but hey. Uh, he is the grumpy man in center field. So, uh, yeah, Classe is able to get it done. He does get a bouncer up the middle that he tries to barehand, which could have been so much worse than it was. Uh, he was fine, though. Gets another chopper up the middle, and this time lets Ahmed Rosario take it. Uh, and he's able to fire it to first and get the out to end the game. So, a huge win for your Cleveland Guardians. Uh, MVP on the day. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I mean, this thing is so spread out. So many people contributed. You know what? I think I'm going to go with Tristan McKenzie. I mean, giving up the home run early and the way they jumped on him the second time through the lineup, it could have been a short day. It could have been a real short day for McKenzie. In a weekend series where, I mean, we're struggling to find, there's no off days. Forget struggling to find off days. There are no off days. When the bullpen is being used a lot, when you know rookies are not going deep into games, the second time through the order could have driven McKenzie out of this game, but he really, really settled down nicely. And to give him seven strong innings, a quality start, right? Seven innings, only three runs given up, eight strikeouts. It goes down as a quality start for McKenzie. He actually doesn't get the win. The win goes to Trevor Steffen, but McKenzie, I mean, he deserves a hold in this one, right? Can a starter get a hold? He should in this situation because he's able to hold the game together until our offense can finally break through on their relievers and the bullpen finishes the game off. So McKenzie getting MVP on the day. I do have one more thing I want to talk about. Um, Their bullpen. You know, we're able to get runs off of Thielbar, Griffin Jacks, and Johan Duran. And, um, you know, some of those guys have been very good against us this season. Thielbar has a zero ERA against us this season in eight appearances. He has now given up two unearned runs because those runs come into score. Uh, you know, Griffin Jacks gave up those runs, but they're counted as two unearned runs in the seventh inning. I understand why the first one's an unearned run. I don't understand why the second one. Why is Owen Miller's run considered an unearned run? He hit his way on. Ahmed Rosario hit him in. Is it just because the rally starts with Andres Jimenez reaching on a you know a fielding error? I mean that one makes sense, but every everything else is earned. Uh, you know, Straw's single brings in that run. Quan hits a ground out that moves the runners up, so there's no error that moved him into scoring position. And then Ahmed Rosario delivers that single. So I'm not sure why both runs are considered unearned. But uh, Theobar still has a zero ERA against us with two unearned runs. Uh, we're only hitting off Theobar uh, 174 with a 426 OPS. So they definitely thought when Theobar went out there, they definitely thought that they had us. Uh, he had been so good against us all season. Griffin Jacks has not been good against us all season. He's got a 6.75 ERA against the Guardians in seven appearances. Uh, with a 1.5 whip, we're hitting off of him 2.67 with a 7.76 OPS. So Griffin Jacks has not had a good season. 
So I'm sure when he went into the game, Minnesota Twins fans were a little bit nervous about that, and rightfully so. We tie the game up off him. And then Johan Duran has been very good off us. In seven games, he's got a 0.93 ERA against us. Uh, he'd only given up one run. I guess this was it. Uh, this was the one run he gave up. And this one goes as an earned run, even though the run scores on a wild pitch. Man, uh, I can't figure out this box score on this day. Uh, but we are only hitting 171 off this guy with a 428 OPS. He, stri- he strikes us out 10 times to three walks. So uh, he has been, normally Duran has been very, very good against us all season. But we're finally able to break through and handle Thielbar and Duran in this game and able to score runs late off that Twins bullpen. Man, bullpens make such the difference coming down the stretch in a playoff race, in a playoff game. The bullpens are such a huge deciding factor, and our bullpen definitely comes out on top in this matchup last night. All right, that's all my thoughts on the game. Definitely wanted to get that in there because I was curious. You know, once Theobard Jackson Duran went into the game, I was curious, like, all right, which one of these guys are we handling and which one of these guys are we not handling? So I'm glad we were able to talk about that this morning. All right, that's all my thoughts on the game. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's your Guardians 4, the Twins 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.